friends, Alan Dale and Jerry Carew, who grew up just a few streets apart in St. John's East End, have been separated by Canada's geography for three decades. They came together virtually during the pandemic to chat about like-minded interests. Alan lives in PEI and Jerry in Newfoundland. Thriving in remoteness has been a common theme for both of them during the pandemic. Gale Force wins. The podcast is the result. Hi, and uh, welcome to Gale Force Wins. Well, uh, you know, we started down this journey where we were talking to our guests about thriving in remoteness and their interesting stories and, uh, and their path to date. And then the Royal Canadian Navy jumped on board and uh, asked us to interview one interesting sailor every month. And uh, we jumped at that opportunity, as you can well imagine, given Jerry and I's background. And our first guest uh, happened to be uh, the Command Chief Petty Officer of the Royal Canadian Navy, Dave Steves. Dave was a great guest, a great interview, and uh, a lot of people really enjoyed that conversation. And then Dave indicated the next person we should talk to. So uh, again, a couple of young officers in the chief's office, we listened to him. And uh, so we organized our next guest with the Royal Canadian Navy. Now, this guy is an interesting fella because I like talking to sailors because sailors traditionally get up to some, well, interesting things. And our next guest is no exception to that. A journey through cannabis into the back of an airplane and he jumps out. We'll get to that in a few minutes. Welcome to Gale Force Winds. Jerry, how are you? I'm doing well, uh, really well. Uh, this time of year, I always find, you know, I've been in I had a sales career for 30 years. Tends to be a little slower. It's uh, a time when someone who's in my career uh, gets a little antsy, frankly. So uh, I like the fact that we're talking to someone like you, Matt, and uh, this this is uh, energizing. So let's let's get going, Al. Uh, that's great, Jerry. So uh, Matt, welcome to Gale Force Winds. I'm Al. That's Jerry. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, guys. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Matt Corbett. Uh, I'm a 30 year old master sailor in the Royal Canadian Navy, uh, and uh, I hail from Graymire North, Cape Breton. Matt, how'd you get involved in the Navy? Uh, I had two military parents, so I moved around a ton as a kid. Um, both my parents were in the Navy, so um, moved around a bunch, saw what they were doing, um, was interested in trying to do a job that was uh, gave me opportunities to do adventurous, fun things. So obviously I went to the recruiting center right out of high school and I said, I want to join the army. Um, so I joined the army as a combat engineer. How did, that go at, over with, how did that go <laughs> over with naval parents? <laughs> I got a, we're telling, like, I got a, I told you so at the end of it all. Um, yeah. so, <laughs> which so, is kind so of funny. For anyone, anyone who's not familiar with the military, within the military, there's a, a lot of, like, little ribbing, and it's all good, in good uh, fun, isn't it, Alan? But we tend to, to, to rib each other on that, I, if you're in one arm in the military or the other, right? 100%. For you, sure. You, we think our cultures are very different, but we're all very much the same. So, uh, yeah. so what did mom and dad do in the Navy? Um, my mother was a sonar operator, um, but she was, um, she was a sonar operator in the Navy, but before they had women on ships. Uh, and then by the time she was uh, more senior is when they allowed women on ships. So she, but she ended up staying ashore um, okay. for the rest of, uh, of her career. And she was a chief petty officer first class sonar operator, which um, that comes around to how Dave Steves knows me, Chief Steves, is when my mother retired, that opened up the position that got him promoted to C1. 
Oh my goodness. Because of course, Dave is owner operator as well. Yeah. Wow. So Um, your mom mom was a C1 sonar operator. She must have been like the first woman in the Navy to achieve that. I don't remember it. I think she was definitely one of like the first, say, 10 chiefs. I can't remember. I'd have to ask her. I should probably should have before. Um, But yeah, she was definitely um, near the ground floor for that whole thing of of women achieving that kind of thing in in the military. Um, Yeah. Uh, sounds, my, like a, sounds like a Gale Force Winds guest, Alan. <laughs> hey, yeah. Sorry, it's Matt. Big shoes is what it is. <laughs> we're, we're t- All right, Matt, we're done with you. Get your mother, will you? <laughs> yeah, no, I'll give her a call. Um, um, so, yes, yeah, she retired um, as the school chief of the operations school in Halifax. So, she definitely had a, a fantastic career. Uh, my father joined originally as um actually he was infantry in the reserves and then he joined the reg force as a aero frame um which is now like aircraft structures right. um and then he, that was back in the days when the air dead on the ship they brought aero frame techs so he worked on the sea kings on the sh- onboard ships um saw what the navy was like and then he remastered over to clearance diver uh and then he retired as a clearance diver in uh, 2001 oh my goodness well that's a great great foundation to start from it's big shoes to fill is what it is <laughs> clearly mom and dad like to be dealing in the underwater as opposed to staying on top of the water that's kind of interesting so you decided to join the army were you involved in cadets or anything before that or i was um i was in army cadets in sydney um i was more of a outdoorsy kind of kid like i like being outside so the army cadets program seemed like a good uh, good fit um so i did that f- for a bit um and then went straight from that right into the reg force uh, after high school. And but then, I had a lot of fun with that. Is that right? Yeah. Um, it, it, like, the Army Cadet program is a really, like, it's a fantastic program. Like, everything has its ups and downs and its flaws. But um, the most part, I got way more out of that program than I ever feel I put in. Um, I had opportunities to, I went to New Brunswick, like, summer camps and stuff. So, mom and dad, I'm out of their hair. Um, go to summer camp, learn new skills, do fun things. Um, when I was 15, uh, I got to go to Alberta to a, an adventure camp out there and hike glaciers, whitewater kayak, like all kinds of crazy outdoor adventure things, especially at a 15 year old kid from a farm in Cape Breton was, uh, it was a bit of a change. Um, and then at 16, I got the opportunity to do the basic parachutist course. So they take 50 army cadets in all of Canada. Um, hundreds apply but they take 50 and you go to trenton ontario to the the um the canadian forces land advanced warfare center it's now the army advanced warfare center um you go there and you get to do the reg force basic parachutist course so they run a cadet course right alongside with a reg force course um it's two weeks of a lot of push-ups a lot of sweat and then uh it peaks um sorry three weeks and then it peaks with uh jumping out of a plane five six times which is uh, a lot of fun. Uh, there's so much to unpack there. Like, I mean, <laughs> so there you are, you're 50, you're 15 years old. Uh, 16 to do that Six, one. Yeah. 16 years old kid from Cape Breton and you find yourself in Trenton. These kids must've been from everywhere. Were they? Yeah. All across Canada. Um, there was, I think there was probably like four of us, I think from Nova Scotia and, and then just kids from all across. So that's, yeah. that's fun just in and of itself. I'm sure. Oh yeah. Tell me, tell me what it felt like. And I'm sure they prepared you kind of well as much as a three-week course can do. But uh, tell me what it was like. 
taking that first step out of an airplane. Um, <laughs> uh, that is a memory that I will have for a very long time. Um, the first jump that we did was out of a Hercules aircraft, a, a CC-130, and we did door jumps um, out the side. You can go at the ramp or out the side. We were doing doors. Um, and what they what they do is like, everyone's terrified, right? Like nobody's done this before. You're 1,200 feet off the ground, which is pretty low, uh, and you're about to jump out of a plane. So they crank the heat on you. And they make it incredibly warm back there. So you just start getting <laughs> sick, like your nerves, you just want to puke and you just want like, get me out of this plane now. Um, so I was the wow. 20th person. So I was at the end of the stick and the person in front of me was actually our course officer. And she was, um, she did the course that year. So she could be the, the lead in, um, course officer for the course next year. Um, and I just, she was wearing CAD pad. We were all in the old olive drab. And I remember seeing um, you hear go muscle memory kicks in. And it's just step forward, one, two, one, two. This flash of CAD pad goes out the door. I'm in the doorway. I'm out of the doorway. It's like hot engine exhaust from the Herc blasting your face. You're kind of falling. It's weird. The parachute opens up. You look and you're like, oh, okay, it's there. Oh, oh, what else do I have to do? And there's all your points of flight procedure. Uh, and then you hit the ground, got the shakes. It's, uh, it's incredible. You get the feeling that you immediately want to do it again. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Once one with the thing with skydiving or parachuting in general, the first time you step out of the plane is terrifying. And then as soon as you get to the ground, you're like, okay, oh, I want to do that again. And it's just hunting that feeling constantly. <laughs> that's cool. I mean, I, I do a lot of things and I've done some interesting, that's one thing I wouldn't do. I'm just not, I'm not keen on jumping out of an airplane. Jerry, what about you? Well, you know what? It's funny. I remember when we were in a squam out together, a lot of the guys on the weekends, it was a lot of like little propeller planes. So we were Navy. We didn't have an opportunity to go out of a Hercules, but the, a lot of the guys would go every weekend and jump out of a plane. Alan, Matt, it's the one thing that I have never been able to bring myself to do. Listening to you, uh, you know, it's wild. I mean, I've done a lot of things at my age. Uh, that's the one thing I haven't done. And I'm sure, not sure it's on my bucket list either. <laughs> I'm sure we'll get into more parachuting stuff later on. Uh, there's a, a big part of my career that revolved around that. Um, but it absolutely changed my life. Uh, skydiving, jumping out of planes, absolutely changed my life. Um, and I highly recommend it to everybody. You should just give it a try because it's the most incredible experience, even if you just do it once. Matt, that's fascinating. And, you know, that the cadet program um, – I'm a big fan of it. I, I, I came through the cadet program and I joined when I was uh, 12 uh, through the Navy League and then into the Sea Cadets. And I tell you, I, I, I don't remember, I don't have any bad memories of it. It was just such a wonderful thing to do as a kid. And, and it certainly guided me early on towards uh, a career in the armed forces. So how do you go from this Army cadet in Cape Breton to finding yourself in the Navy? Uh, how, did, how did we get to this journey? Uh, so I walk into the recruiting center, sign everything up, sign up as a combat engineer. I go to basic training and towards the end of basic training, you go out to the field and you do a big field exercise. And it was like kind of raining and I'm lying in this like makeshift shelter. And I just kind of, I don't know if I want to do this for 25 years. This, <laughs> this isn't my thing. This, when they said camping, this isn't what I kind of had in mind, but it, it was a good experience, and I thought about it. Um, it was 2008. We were in the middle of a, a conflict in Afghanistan, and to try to transfer out of a combat arms trade into, like, that's 
probably hurting for people into a Navy trade that's overflowing with people, it's not really going to happen. Um, so I decided, I was like, you know what, like I, this, it was a good experience, but this isn't what I, I'm realizing. This isn't really lined up with what I want. I was more worried about getting out of town quicker and getting started than I was doing, taking the right step. Um, so I went home, um, kind of like tail between my legs, like, okay, you guys are right. The army's not as fun as I thought. Uh, and then I reapplied. You had to wait. I had to wait six months. Uh, and then I reapplied in the Navy as a hall tech, which was my second choice the first time. Um, but it was my only choice the second time. That's a big decision, right? Uh, to shift like that uh, early on. That's a huge decision. Uh, where did you do basic training? Uh, in uh, St. Jean Richelieu um, in Quebec. Okay, great. So now you, now you join the Navy, mom and dad. Okay, mom and dad got you on the right path all of a sudden. Yeah. Okay, okay. Not, not that the Army's the wrong path. No, you, uh, yeah. You yeah. know, Matt, that Jerry's brother uh, spent a great deal of time in the Army. So we got. Be very careful. The last thing I want is your brother showing up with PBI <laughs> right now. Okay, uh, so you decide to uh, you decide to make your journey uh, into the Navy, and, and then what are the next steps then? Um, so because I hadn't finished basic training the first time, I had to go back and do the whole thing over again. Uh, I get to Esquimalt. I'm a brand new ordinary seaman um, <laughs> showing up in Esquimalt, and I'm at the engineering school, and I was just uh, on a course waiting list. Um, in order to do my QL3 course, my basic trades course. Right. Um, so I had a good couple months. So we do like our naval environmental training and I have a couple things out of the way. And, and then I have a good couple months before the next course is supposed to start. And I was kind of like, mm, what am I going to do? And during my environmental training, when we go to the damage control school and learn to fight fires and floods and, and do all the basic ship stuff, um, you have to walk through, if you take the ferry, the old ferry, across in a Esquimalt, you had to walk through the diving unit in order to go to the damage control school. My dad was a clearance diver and a good friend of the family. And I remember his wife babysitting me when we lived in Ottawa, um, happened to work there. And I wanted to pop in and be like, hey, look, I'm all grown up now. I'm a big kid. Mm -hmm. um, so I pop in and I say hi to, uh, to Brian. And I'm like, hey, Brian. And he was like, oh, what are you doing? Like, well, I'm waiting for waiting for this course to start. He was like, well, instead of sweeping parking lots over there, why don't you sweep parking lots over here? It's like, uh, oh my God, yes. Um, <laughs> so I got a job at the Fleet Diving Unit Pacific. Um, I worked in the engineering side um, doing the hull tech job, which is like um, woodworking and checking out fire suppression systems. And, and I was underneath a technician, but I followed him around and learned so much. Right. And while being there, I got the opportunity to take a ship's dive course. Oh, wow. Yeah, uh, pretty unheard of and pretty lucky just being in the right place at the right time. Um, and it ended up being kind of like who I know got me in the door to get me a job over there. Um, but I got really lucky getting on that course. Uh, and that was that was hard. Um, it was six weeks long. Uh, and I vividly remember in the middle of week three wanting to quit. Uh, we started with 21 people and it finished with seven. Right. Um, so a significant attrition rate. Um, but that really set up a good foundation for uh, the rest of my naval career because then I ended up going on my trades course as a diver, uh, get to the ship. I'm already qualified, um, which was awesome. It was a lot of fun. Oh, wow. So, okay. I, I had no idea you were a diver as well. Okay. This is fantastic. So now you're a diver, you do your training with the Navy. What's your first, and tell me about this. Because I remember it vividly. What was that first time when the lines uh, were dropped on the or taken in from the jetty and you went to sea? What was that feeling like for you? 
I got to go out on one of the dive tenders when I was at the dive unit. So I'm still brand new and like you see the boats going around in the harbor and stuff, but I'm out on the dive tender and we kind of just went out into the Juan de Fuca Strait. And I remember coming up out of one of the engineering spaces and just the way I was facing, I was looking out the channel at just open ocean. And the first time I opened that hatch and like looked out, I was like, oh my God, there's, there's no land. It's just water. I luckily I turned my head and I was like, oh, okay. Okay. We're not that far. But that moment, I'll always remember that of just being like, wow. Um, so after I finished my trades training on the West coast, I got a posting message to come to Halifax and I was posted to HMCS Athabascan. Um, and that my first trip to that was uh, workups, <laughs> which is like getting ready to go out, um, and, and practicing our skills. And I remember that like slipping the lines and, and heading out of the Harbor and leaving Halifax Harbor. And, and yeah, when it's just nothing but water, it's definitely a, an interesting experience. So, you know, explain to the audience what workups is, because that flew off your tongue pretty easy, but it's not quite that easy, is it? For sure. Um, so workup training, and the name has changed over and over throughout the years, is basically um, there's a group of, of senior chiefs in the Navy who are the training guys, and they're the ones that are going to, like, um, make sure you're up to standard, make sure you're up to snuff and that you're doing everything by the book and that you're doing it properly. And they're the ones that certify that the, the ship is capable of doing whatever it is it needs to do. Um, so we went out um, for air workups and uh, that's where we were just focusing mainly on hel the helicopter. So you sail for a couple weeks and it's just um, a constant barrage of problems. So, oh, the ship's on fire. Oh, now the ship's sinking. Oh, your engineering plant is broken this happened, this happened, and it, how the ship adapts and works and overcomes to, to accomplish all those things to prove that it's capable of going out on its own so the Admiral can sleep soundly at night knowing its ship's not going to run into any problems. It's really that ultimate feeling of a team coming together, isn't it? That whole experience of watching everybody tick and people stumble and other people pick them up, and it's just that whole forming of a team in such a sophisticated platform as a Navy destroyer. It's pretty remarkable when you think about it, isn't it? It really is. I mean, um, you have six minutes at the alarm. You have six minutes for everyone, everyone on the ship. If you're sleeping or not, get out of bed, dressed, get to your station in the ship and have everybody, like your people dressed in their firefighting gear and everything ready to go, six minutes. So six minutes... Seems like a decent amount of time if you sit there and you're quiet and you think about it, but it goes by really, really quick. <laughs> yes, six minutes can fly. Jerry, have you ever been on board for workups? No, I don't think so. Uh, I was not on board that I remember. Now, my career goes back decades. I've uh, been out for decades, but no, I don't think I, I was. So, yeah, you're on Athabaskan, you're, you're out to sea. Did you have any good trips there on Athaby? Some of the highlights of my naval career have been, were on that ship. Tell um, me about it. So, <clears throat> I first got posted there. I spent four years there, um, which is where I learned from, like, right from the basics of my trade through to being, uh, like, near subject matter expert in my field, um, which was great. Uh, some of the best friends that I have to this day were people that I sailed with and people that I worked with on that ship. Um, there's a couple good stories. I did two, uh, I did two op cribs, um, which is like an anti-drug operation in the Caribbean. Um, and I spent, luckily for me, the Athabascan, most of its trips happened to be down South, um, mm -hmm. like down along the Eastern seaboard and into the Caribbean. So I've spent most of my career sailing in, in the Caribbean, which is always nice. Mm -hmm. Um, my first trip with them, we went across to England. 
So I mean, Glasgow, Scotland, Edinburgh, Liverpool, absolutely fantastic. Um, one that a couple of things that stand out was um, on my technician course. Um, we learn we learned to weld, and we got to kind of do like a personal project if you wanted, like because you sit there welding plates all day, and, and our instructor was like, if you want to build a small project, that's okay. Um, so I went to the scrapyard and I picked up a couple things, and I ended up building a very large um, smoker, like barbecue smoker. Um, so I have this big smoker that I built, like grabbed all the metal for it, and then just spent my time doing it. And I learned so much more about welding doing that kind of fabrication project. So after the course, I'm back on Athabascan and we had a barbecue and I mentioned to the CEO, I was like, Hey, like barbecues are a lot of fun. I got a barbecue that'll put these little ones to shame. So he was like, send me a picture, sent him a picture. He's like, yep, sounds good. So we brought my smoker on board the ship, just strapped it on the back and brought it with us down to Florida for a trip. And, uh, I got to cook for the crew on this smoker on the back deck of the ship, which was like an oh, absolutely an awesome amazing story. Experience. Yeah, that it was phenomenal. so much fun. Now that same trip, um, we were coming along the coast of Maryland. I don't remember the exact details, but basically NASA was launching a rocket um, and it was going to take off near there and it was going to basically fly right over top of us. So the, the weather technician on board told everyone about it. So we're all out there on the back deck to watch in the evening and we saw like a shooting star and we're like, Oh, like, was that it? Like kind of not sure. And then you just see this flame on the horizon and this rocket take off. And we watched it go right over top of us as I was like barbecuing a bunch of pork shoulders in this giant <laughs> smoker on the back. It was like just such an incredible experience. Like, yeah, super, super cool. Well, this, uh, <laughs> this, this couldn't be better really, Jerry. So we, like, this is where we now insert the ad for the food channel. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think about being in the back barbecue in the Newfoundland. The wind is off and blowing, right? Your branches falling and stuff. <laughs> I should probably put a little disclaimer on this. This isn't. Uh, I, this is a very rare situation that I got really lucky with because I I smooth talked the right guy. But uh, we don't normally have big barbecues on the back of the ship while we're driving along. Uh, there's a lot more work to it. But yeah. nobody talks about the bad days. We only talk about the good days. All right, you smooth-talking fella. Now, tell me about how you go from the smoker, which I guess you might as well stay on the smoking, the smoke uh, conversation. How did you get into cannabis to get you up to another aircraft? Tell me about that. So let's not get me in trouble here. Uh, I invested in cannabis. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> um, so during um, when the weed bubble was a thing, I was young, I was single, had a couple bucks. And I was like, you know what? So I threw some money in a TFSA and I invested it in weed, played the market well, and I turned a couple hundred bucks into a couple thousand bucks. And then it was just burning a hole in my pocket. I was like, oh, what am I going to do? Um, and then I had seen the Skyhawks, the military's parachute demo team. I had seen them in 2017. They jumped in Greenwood. And I was like, man, like those guys are in the same organization that I'm in. And if they can do that, which looks super cool, like I, I can probably do that. Like I can pull that off. Um, so I uh, take this money. that's like burning a hole in my pocket. And I'm like, I'm going to go learn to skydive. I'm going to go give this a try. I jumped into a plane when I was a kid. I know I can jump into a plane. It's just a little more intense. I'm going to give it a shot. So I, uh, I wrote, uh, here's the smooth talking thing again. Um, I wrote a really 
well done memo and I asked for two weeks of special academic leave to go learn to skydive because a skydive certificate is a certificate of proficiency. Then by the book, it says it's allowed for certificates. Um, so I added on a couple of days of my own vacation on the end of it. And I, I sent that up to my CEO. I was like, Hey, uh, this is a different CEO at this point, um, on the Charlottetown. And I sent it up. I'm like, Hey, uh, can I have two weeks to go learn to skydive? And he was like, um, sure. Like, so I was like, I want to join the military's team. I want to try this out. So I go down to Florida and I blew a bunch of money and I learned to skydive, which was fantastic. Um, I think I set like a United States parachute association record for fastest from zero to hero. Um, I started with, I had my six jumps from the military, but they, they didn't really count. They counted as numbers, but not for the jumps. I went from zero free fall jumps to 53 free fall jumps um, in two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, I treated it like a job because it's, I was, I'm on academic leave. I'm supposed to be, I'm, I'm at work. Right. Right. Uh, so I went to Florida and learned to skydive and I went from a no license to an A license to a B license, um, in, in two weeks left there, came back home, threw in my application for the Canadian forces parachute team, the Skyhawks, uh, for the 2019 season. And they called me and said, yep, you're coming to Trenton in March. Uh, that was 2019. And I was just like, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. Super cool. Uh, and then, yeah, I ended up uh, getting to do an entire season with the Skyhawks in 2019, traveling the country, jumping out of planes. Um, so that's kind of my roundabout way of weed getting me high. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Uh, are you, I'm on the website here for the Skyhawks. And uh, are you the only Navy guy on that team? No, uh, there was a girl on there, um, Bree. She was Navy as well. So she's um, uh-huh. she's a cook by trade. Um, but cook is one of those kind of purple trades. So you can gotcha. post it anywhere. Um, right. And her husband is in the Army. So she's kind of, her and her husband have kind of been posted around together. Um, right. So she, I don't think she's sailed. Um, she's a uh, flight steward. So she works on board aircraft out of Trenton. Um, but she's also Navy. So there's two Navy Berets on the team that year. Tell me about this guy. Now, tell me about this team. This is this must be fascinating. For again, I want to get a couple of steps back. Kid from Cape Breton finds himself, you know, in the Navy. Now, all of a sudden, a diver, the whole thing, having a great time. You, you, you know, you say you say that you smooth talked your way into this, but in fact, what you really did, Matt, is you invested in yourself, right? And uh, and that's fantastic. So you invested in yourself and then now you make it on this team. What's that like? What is that team like? Um, it's certainly a highlight of my life. Um, I got to work with some of the greatest people I've ever worked with. Um, highly motivated, highly talented people who enjoyed what they were doing. And that, no matter what you're doing in life, that kind of teamwork and camaraderie makes everything great. Um, I spent eight months um, jumping out of planes, traveling the country, uh, being like, you're basically a rock star, which is really cool. But um, just the people that you meet and you get to interact with all these different people and the constant challenge is always the fun part. So the drop zone is always different. The conditions are always changing and you're trying to put on a show and display the level of skill that you have that you gain in six weeks of intensive training down in California. Um, I forget how many shows we did, but I ended up leaving that with like 200 skydives. Um, 
yeah, <laughs> uh, it was definitely uh, it was definitely a lot, and it was an, an amazing experience. You, the fun part with it is um, like so when we go to a show. Um, we would travel to a show and then like the day before the show, we'd usually bring like media up, right. To like local new, news reporters to hype up the show, to talk about it. Um, so we'd bring them along for tandem jumps and I ended up getting good enough where I was able to like help film some of the tandems towards the end. Um, so you're standing there and there's this person in the plane and they're terrified. It's their first time. And you kind of get to relive that fun energy of, of sharing this great thing that we all enjoy with new people. And that was, that part was absolutely fantastic. Um, I think the highlights were, uh, I jumped the Canadian flag on a parliament Hill. Um, that was absolutely at, incredible. Uh, I'm looking at YouTube here. Now the Skyhawks Canada has a YouTube channel. Would that be the correct one? I believe so. Yeah. Um, I, they're definitely on Instagram, Skyhawks Canada on Instagram. Uh, and the Facebook page as well, Skyhawks cool. Canada. Yeah, well, I'm sure uh, many of our people watching would uh, find that interesting. Go have a look. Excellent. Phenomenal, yeah. man. Beautiful. What, what was your uh, most memorable interaction with Canadians or otherwise during that time? Like, Is there anybody you met that really resonates or that you felt that you made a real impact yeah, um, we did a show. We split the team because we got we kind of double booked ourselves one weekend, and we ended up splitting the team. And I got to go with a small group to uh, Kelowna, uh, and in Kelowna there was this thing called the Okanagan Dream Rally. It's basically a bunch of people that own very fancy sports cars. They block off a chunk of the highway from Kelowna to Penticton. Uh, they donate a ton of money to charity, and then they bring um, kids from like um, Ronald McDonald House, like sick kids. Um, they bring them with them and these kids get to ride in the passenger seat of a McLaren or a Lamborghini or whatever and fly down this highway with these, these guys that drive these great cars, um, which is so cool. And I'm talking like, we're talking hundreds of cars. Right. So like hundreds of these kids that get to do that. Um, so jumping, um, they all ended up at the Penticton airport and we jumped in to do our show and just like seeing all these kids and, and being able to kind of like perform for them and, and to help out our little bit with the charity, um, to like kind of bring more to it was super, super cool. Um, definitely like we took a couple of them up for a plane ride, um, which was so much fun. Oh. Uh, like seeing all their faces when the doors open and everyone jumps out the back and they're just like, Oh my God. Yeah. Very, very cool. Um, okay. So I, I, I've got to bring up the fact that there's a lot of instruments behind you. Yeah. You're, you're from Cape Breton. So I'm going to put two and two together. Just about everybody in Cape Breton, uh, <laughs> is musical. <laughs> Tell me about that. Um, well, so I will preface this with these ones aren't mine. Um, okay. I'm in my, my wife is a music teacher, a high school music teacher. Um, so this is her office studio. Um, but I just commandeered it for doing this with you guys. Um, but mine are over in the corner. Um, yeah, I, my grandfather handed me a set of spoons when I was five and got me to play them. And, and then I started playing the fiddle. Uh, I did that for a couple of years. It wasn't cool to bring a fiddle to school. So I got a guitar, started rocking out on a guitar for a while, bass, drums. I, I messed around with turntables for a bit. Um, kind of the whole gamut, really. The whole gamut. So, you know, one thing about a successful career and you're, and let's not forget you're you're early on in your career. You're how old now, Matt? Thirty, right? Uh, yeah, I'm thirty. So I've been in. Uh, I have 
Oh, geez. I hit 12 years of service in October last, last okay. year. You're only a couple of years younger than myself and Alan. That's all. couple. Yeah. Well, you've had a, an incredible journey so far, a wonderful career, and it's evident that there's a whole lot more to come. Um, certainly with your appetite for life, uh, I can sense a lot of great things coming. But all that's not, as you know, is not done in isolation. Oftentimes, uh, there's somebody there uh, uh, along the journey with us. It's our, it's our spouse or partner, what have you. Tell us a little bit about uh, your partner. Um, her name's Laura, and she is super nice to me. <laughs> um, I'm so. The Athabascan, when I was on there, and uh, it went for a refit to get like maintenance done. It went for a maintenance period, and it happened to be up in Ontario. Um, at a dry dock um, in Port Weller near St. Catharines. So um, my best friend that I had met in basic training and, and done my naval environmental training with and all this stuff, he was from Ottawa. And his girlfriend at the time, they were distanced, she was there. So I happened to be in Ottawa for a weekend. So I called her, I was like, hey, let's go for dinner. Like I'd known her really well, I've known her for years. Um, and she brought her other friend being Laura. Um, and I thought she was cute and I bought her lunch and um, it kind of just stemmed from there. We did distance for a bit. And then when she finished uh, university, I was like, hey, look, like my life's cool and you should come along for the ride and we can be do cool stuff together. Uh, and she said, yes, crazy. Um, and yeah, so she uh, she moved here with me. And that was, ooh, still messes up. Seven years ago? Yeah, <laughs> um, I, like, yeah I like to see Maritimers bringing people from Ontario back. Right. It's okay. It's okay to mess that up. My wife forgot our anniversary uh, years ago. I've been off the hook ever since, so I don't have to worry. (laughs) It's always good. Yeah. Um. So she's here with me. Um. We bought a house in Dartmouth and just kind of hanging out together. We got a cat. You might see him running around on the floor later on. (laughs) Okay. Well, that's great. And I'm sure that so she's been a big part of this journey with you as well. I mean, super supportive, I guess. Right. It's difficult to kind of head out there and do all of these interesting things if things aren't kind of secure at home. But that's a, that's a huge part of the whole the whole equation for us. Jerry, I mean, I, I know that uh, Kelly is very supportive of what you do. And I've got a wonderful uh, wife, Janet, who's very supportive and all the crazy kind of adventures that I tend to get up, get up to. And it's so vitally important, isn't it, to have that family support? I mean, that whole time um, that I was gone on the Skyhawks, that was eight months. And she was here, like we had doing some rentals to the house. So like half finished kitchen. And I was like, okay, cool. We'll see you later. And while I was sailing, um, I had the deck redone while I was away on a trip. So like I left for six weeks and then she was dealing with contractors and stuff. Just, yeah, like having a good family support, I think is super important. It's a, it's a really uh, an interesting part of life when you have to do things, even, I mean, uh, Jerry, I'm sure when you were in sales, hitting the road and going out and doing your thing, right? And uh, to have somebody at home make sure everything is organized is such a vitally important thing. That's great. So what else you got in that bag of tricks there now? So that's where you came from. This is what yeah. you've done. You've been underwater. You've been in the sky. You've been on the ships. What's next? Well, what, what do you got your sights on? Um, I think I want to try to fly helicopters. Okay. That'd be cool. Um, so... While I'm on the ship, um, a big part of my job before on the ship was helicopter crash rescue firefighting. Um, mm-hmm. So if the helicopter happens to crash, you put wet stuff on the hot stuff and, and bring the pilots back to safety. Um, 
they're they're worth a lot of money and they have families and stuff so you know you want to keep them safe um everyone has a bad day um so by doing that they do some flights and they'll they'll bring people up on the flight so by being one of the guys that's supposed to be their safety net they usually bring us up so i got to go for a flight in in one of the sea kings years ago and i was like okay, this is really cool. They let you get up and they let you fly it for a couple minutes. It's like, yeah, this is pretty neat. That's always kind of been at the back of my head. Um, and yeah, it was just kind of, that seems to be the new challenge on the horizon. So I applied for a program to, to, oh, sorry, excuse me. Um, I applied for a program to transfer uh, mm-hmm. in, the, in the military to become a pilot. Um, if I'm lucky, I'll find out in April, but I'll just keep applying and, and keep doing my thing. I don't mind what I do now. It's a lot of fun. It's been an amazing go. I'm just kind of still looking for the next challenge. Right. Wow. That's a heck of a challenge. Yeah. Well, Matt, uh, I can understand uh, one of my fond memories of my time in the uh, Naval Reserve was flying in a helicopter off of, and I don't even remember what ship I was on. I think it was HMCS Annapolis, uh, but that we're going back decades now. But anyway, <laughs> we were in Cornerbrook. And we took off, and I made a mistake of telling one of the pilots that, you know, jumping out of a plane or a helicopter is something I'd never do. But I think there was a thing called a monkey harness or something, and yep. the door is open, and we're flying over a gross morn. He turns like this, and of course, I'm hanging out over it. It's like, wow, it was just an incredible experience. So I can see why you would want to go down that road, you know? Yeah, the sad part is, like, if I'm flying it, I can't jump out of it. Um, <laughs> but it's just... Yeah, being in the air and working around aircraft, they're just so, so cool. Um, so I, I, that's kind of, that's the next thing that's on my horizon. Um, and the, Navy, the Navy's got new helicopters, correct? Yeah, uh, the Cyclones. Um, right. they, Cyclones, okay. I haven't worked with any of them yet. Yeah. They seem okay. Um, bar like the issue that we had last year. Um, yeah. But yeah, um, I haven't worked with them yet, but uh, I'm sure that'll come up over the next year or so once I get back to sea. It's a heck of an exciting time for the for the armed force. And, and, and I would go so far as to say, particularly with the Navy, there's a lot of really cool things on the horizon with new aircraft, you know, new ships coming all the time. What an exciting yeah. time to be a part of it, eh? So as, uh, as the destroyers were decommissioning, a lot of those guys got put over. And now a lot of my friends are on the, Ar- the new Arctic offshore patrol vessels. Um, and they seem to be enjoying it. It's seems pretty neat to have a, a new toy and be part of like be part of the rollout and something new. Uh, and it's pretty cool to look down and see them in the Harbor. I haven't convinced anyone to give me a tour yet, but they look pretty neat. Yeah. New ships, new helicopters. Um, yeah. It's going to be interesting. Like the, the whole asterisk program with the, the tanker ship that we have and then new tankers and right. it'll be pretty neat. And new chief of defense staff also in the Navy. All good yeah. news. Yeah, and the chief warrant officer, the, the Canadian Armed Forces chief warrant officer is also a Navy guy. Everything is coming up. It's just fantastic. So, okay, so you are got your sights on becoming a pilot. That'll mean, of course, that you will uh, have to become an officer. How's that? Yeah. <laughs> You're talking to two officers here now. I know. I'm trying to... Uh, um, no, no. <laughs> I'm trying to remember the saying. What is it uh, in the Batman movie? Like, if you hang around long enough you, to see yourself become the villain, you know? <laughs> <laughs> no. That's um, funny, Matt. That's good. It'll, uh, I'm sure it'll be fine. Uh, like, it's still it's just my career. It's my job. And if they 
if I need to be an officer to do it, it means I get to go to school and, and get a university degree. So go learn something and, and take that for a challenge and, and then some try the, to. Some of the finest officers I've ever worked with started uh, as enlisted uh, men and women back in the day. And, uh, and indeed, Jerry and I, uh, we both have a boy each. And uh, Jerry has two boys. I have one. And, boy, and one of my, my son is now 17, just joined the Navy, and uh, uh, he's in high school. And I was asking him, you know, are you going to university next year or if that's what you choose, you know? Are you considering becoming an officer or whatever? And, and he's now a naval communicator waiting to go away on his training. And nice. uh, he said to me that he, he wants to get some street cred first. <laughs> <laughs> that's, I think it comes down to, to with like the leadership style. So um, if you're an officer leading the troops, like you're, there's a disconnect, but like, especially for myself when I was a leading seaman and, and now like becoming a master seaman, master sailor, um, it, like the people that I have to lead and the people that I'm in charge of are also the people that like, I, I got to sleep in the same room as them. I'm next to them. And I think that kind of building that kind of um, camaraderie and, and knowing the troops that you are leading are also the ones that like you have to spend your off time with because you're kind of trapped together and you're all in the same spot. Um, I think kind of helps set a good foundation, um, set a good foundation for leadership, especially once you become an officer, at least yeah. I'm hoping so. Um, I always just try to treat the people underneath me really well because you can't lead if there's nothing below you to lead and all of your accomplishments come off the back of the people below you. So um, hopefully I can maintain that perspective. Yeah. Matt, you've got a, a wonderful way about you. You've got a, a real uh, nice personality and a, a clear lust for life. Uh, I'm sure that that will take you a long way. And you're, you're so right. I mean, it, it's one thing to lead, but you got to look over your shoulder, make sure people are coming with you. Right. And I think that you've got that way to get people on board with what you're talking about. You can certainly, you're able to convince a commanding officer to send you places. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think it just comes down to, you just got to just ask nicely. Um, I mean, like just try, just ask, like, um, the worst they can say is no. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think what the, the real, the essence of it is it's you're, you're asking for somebody to allow you to invest in yourself and, um, not many people will ever turn anybody down to do that. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, uh, if, if you see somebody who wants to try new things, explore new things, and it's all for the betterment of their, themselves and their community, why, why would anybody turn that down? Right. And that's, that's a great thing that you've learned because you've gotten to experience it firsthand. And now you'll be able to pass that on when, you know, 10 years from now or five years from now, some person comes up to you and say, Hey, uh, can I do this? And you'll say, yeah, let's see if this, this works for you. Right. That's fantastic. You know, we always ask our guests, Matt, to, uh, to leave the audience with one small takeaway from your journey so far. And it's been an interesting one. It really has. Uh, from your journey so far, what would that piece of advice be that you would tell people? Um, I'd say to, like, to take the risk and to try it. Um, I mean, like all these things that I've done don't come without like a lot of hard work, um, being cold and tired, sweaty, whatever it might be. Um, just pushing, my, pushing yourself to those kind of levels. So I don't want to discount the stuff. It's just being easy and just, Oh, just try for it. There's going to, you're going to have to put in the work, but um, just take, 
the risk and try it. Um, Sometimes, like some of the greatest things I've ever experienced were because I, I was like, why not? Why don't I try that? Why, why can't I do that? There's no reason I can't do that. Like these people that you see doing these things, they, they seem so impressive, but everybody's still a, a person and, and you can still try something. And if it works off and works out and you put the hard work in, it, it can pay off incredibly. So take the risk, I think would be the thing. Take the risk, try the thing that you're not sure about, the thing that you're on the fence about, go for it. Just yeah. give it a shot get out of your comfort zone sometimes right and uh, the reward can be great and even if and even if you're not successful you've still learned something along totally the way, right um one of my biggest one of the biggest things i learned was on my one of my failures um i took a risk on something and it, it did not work out and that was a real good check and that then set my foundation even better to carry on with stuff yeah and even uh that little uh uh shift in the beginning of your career, right? You, you probably came back to Cape Breton, right? And you thought, oh, is this ever going to recover? But you know, it does, right? There's, there's always tomorrow, there's always another opportunity and, and you just, it's a different path, right? And it, it's, uh, it's fascinating to hear your journey. I mean, it was a real pleasure for me to hear uh, what one of our sailors in the Navy is doing and uh, I'm fascinated. Jerry, your thoughts? It's an absolute pleasure talking with you. You know, Alan and I have had a lot of very, very diverse guests. Uh, I will say, Matt, you're one of the, the probably the youngest. Um, but it's, it's, it's interesting, you know, and this is the reason Alan and I put this thing together is uh, someone of your caliber is, is what Canada needs more of. Uh, you're only 30 years of age. You've got an incredible career already behind you. Um, I think in today's world, someone like yourself who has an incredible deportment, decorum is needed in, in today's world, frankly. Uh, I think there's some out there that say, oh, no, you know, the niceties of the past, you don't need it. You exemplify, from my perspective, what my son, I would love my son to be. And uh, just, just uh, I appreciate listening to you and your ability to give advice and take risks at the age of 30. Bravo. Bravo Zulu. Yeah. High praise there for sure. Um, uh, well, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to thank you all for joining yet another episode of uh, Gale Force Winds. An absolute pleasure to have a conversation with uh, Master Sailor Matt Corbett today. Uh, and Folks, uh, this is what your Canadian Navy is all about. This is the caliber of person that serves our country day in, day out on those ships at sea. And in the case of Matt, sometimes he goes a little bit higher, physically higher in the air when he jumps out of the plane. So uh, thank you all for joining Gale Force Winds. And at the end of the day, Canada needs more guys like Matt Corbin around. Thanks, Matt. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Thank you for tuning in to Gale Force Winds. That's Gale Force Winds, W-I-N-S dot com.